0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: You know, the longer we're in the practice, we start to see the benefits of the soil improvement, soil health, organic matter changes.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here on our Fry Yay episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. I've got a guest host today, Miss Hannah Borg. Hello, who hello. is good. Hi, how are you, Hannah? Good. You are a senior this year mm-hmm. in agricultural communications at the University of Lincoln. Go big red. Go big red. Mm, sorry. I'm a Hawkeye <laughs> fan. We've got some Hawkeye fan listeners, so we won't say that too loudly. But Hannah, tell us a little bit about your experience in agriculture. I know you grew up on a farm and you're a senior here, so what are you heading to do after that?
2: So my background on the farm, my family
0: grows corn and cattle, and I'm the sixth
2: generation on my family's farm. Um, I'm a senior at UNL, like you mentioned. I love all things communications and marketing, and when I graduate here soon this year, I'm going to go back to the farm full-time and run our new Uh, new entity on the farm which is in poultry which is kind of crazy to say but we're contract growers for Lincoln Premium Poultry so I'm going to bring all my communication skills and an open mind and come back to the farm and learn all about poultry production.
0: And you get gifted like what 60,000 birds for your graduation?
2: (laughs) Yeah we get 60,000 birds April 30th a week before I graduate and that's just how it worked out when we could get our birds and then we poultry is brand new for us there's a lot of technicians that will help us care for the birds and teach us and train us how to take care of the barns and the facilities and things like that so it worked out well that we could get the birds when i could be home full-time
0: yeah that's exciting i guess i wouldn't want to be personally stuck with sixty thousand birds (laughs) but that's just me it's a
2: new challenge for us and the reason why we chose to expand and diversify is land's expensive mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of land and I know many other people are looking into expanding their farm to bring the next generation back and so a way for my parents to do that was to expand into contract growing, which in Iowa with pigs is huge. Is huge yeah. and that's not something I'm super familiar
0: with, so I've learned a lot. And now we're going to be chicken farmers. <laughs> <laughs> and Lincoln Premium Poultry is who Correct. you're getting the birds or the building, birds are building from? Birds from, okay. we own the buildings, okay. they own the birds. And Lincoln Premium Poultry is a supplier to Costco? Correct,
2: yes. So Lincoln Premium Poultry is owned by Costco, created but created for Costco. So they're a separate business,
0: but they have deep roots in mm-hmm. Costco. And all your birds are only going to Costco? Correct. Okay. So
2: if you've ever bought those $5 roasted chickens in Costco, those will all be supplied from eastern Nebraska. There's a, I, if I could remember the facts better, it's a certain amount of Costco's and from maybe the Mississippi West or something mm-hmm. like that will all have $5 chickens from um, Nebraska. And so LPP invested $400 million to start this fully in- integrated farm. So they're building everything from the hatchery to the feed mill to the processing plant. They um, have farmers all over, contract growers, their corporate offices all, are all in Fremont. So it's a huge thing that's in Nebraska now and it grows our economy and it's really exciting for my parents who can bring back that next generation. And for me, I was first in line to come back so I rose my hand, raised my hand and I'll
0: be back. <laughs> Absolutely, that's exciting. That's yeah. exciting. It's scary, too. That it, It's exciting, but it's also scary. We hope you stay in the communications <laughs> field. You also work for a radio
2: station, right? I do. I work for the Rural Radio Network out of Nebraska, and it's a network of stations all across Nebraska owned by farmers. It was created um, by farmers about 50-some years ago. And so I was an intern two years ago. I was kind of – I found myself in that role by accident. I wasn't pursuing – that opportunity by any means and then a farm broadcaster came to me and um, just asked if I would be interested And I, was, I said sure and two years uh, three years now three years later holy cow three years later I'm still working part-time for the company and I really enjoy broadcasting it's a really fun thing to do and I get to meet a lot of people and Learn a lot of things because of all the different people I'm meeting and interviewing.
0: Absolutely. That's probably my favorite part of it, Mm -hmm. too. So we're excited to have you today. We've got another farm broadcaster as co host today. Hannah, let's talk through some news today. I'm going to kick it off with. An announcement here kind of going on simultaneously as we're recording this podcast. We knew yesterday that there were rumors trickling around about the uh, $30 billion in a memorandum of understanding of ag products. A little more details about that today before I jump into the really big news or okay. potentially big news. Uh, so we know that $30 billion yesterday could be part of a trade deal or a, an extension of a trade deal. And part of that MOU is being drafted with six key topics. The proposal is to purchase significant quantities of agricultural products, but contingent upon really six areas, which is forced technology transfer and and cyber theft, intellectual property rates, services, currency, non tariffs, and non tariff barriers to trade. Also included in that proposal or Rumored to be included in that proposal is the elimination of DDG tariffs against the U.S., along with them, China removing an anti dumping claim against the U.S. So we know that happened yesterday. That definitely sparked the markets. We have news today that President Trump and the, I think it's the second in command vice premier, uh, he are said to meet around, we're cutting this right now, 230. Central time in the, in the afternoon, afternoon on Friday. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be in meetings right now, but CNBC reported just just a little while ago that they're intending, or China is going to intend or commit to buy 1.2 trillion dollars in U.S. goods, including agricultural goods, but not limited solely to agricultural goods.
2: Secretary Purdue said that it could recover markets very, very quickly. Which is something exciting to think mm-hmm. about that many producers, I'm sure, would want.
0: I've got to question that a little bit, though, because it's like I feel that the damage is done with China, and I think we'll see some quick reactions from the commodity markets. But as a whole, I feel like the relationship has been damaged for a really long time. hmm Something you
2: gotta after you're after you dig yourself in a hole so deep, it takes time to heal that. Yeah. But if they if this does go through and these talks do produce some purchases from China, I think we got to look more forward and be more excited about that, rebuilding that relationship right. and then remembering that whole that has been done right
0: and and Secretary Purdue kind of made a comment. It's a little vague, but I would say it confirms the rumors yesterday about the thirty billion in ag products. He said at the Ag Outlook Forum conference going on right now in D.C. area, he said, quote, they have committed to buy quantities that are significant, but it's all contingent on the whole deal coming together. So to me, that that's Secretary Perdue kind of saying, okay, those rumors are true.
2: If I could be on fly on... If I could be a fly on the wall right now, I would definitely want to be in those meetings because like many producers and many broadcasters right now, I think I'm just
0: as curious of what Mm -hmm. does that mean. Yeah, for sure what's going on behind the closed doors. Well, in other news related to trade, uh, Purdue also mentioned this week at the Ag Outlook Forum emphatically uh, that farmers will not be getting an additional market facilitation payment program for the 2018-19 marketing year. He said the 2018 payments were justified because farmers were caught unaware of retaliatory tariffs. This year, uh, farmers need to do their marketing the same way they've always done them and factor in those external market forces. So it doesn't sound like we're going to see another round of trade payments come through.
2: I think that's always hard to hear because those trade payments were very helpful from those years past and to hear that um, another round won't Mm -hmm. be coming is always hard. But if anything, we gotta work harder to make sure those mar- or we can market our commodities mm-hmm. correctly. Yeah,
0: I mean, especially when you look at yesterday, we had USDA release projections for uh, the the next calendar year here for planting, pulled back on soybean acres, but their price projection I think was I think eight eighty or eight fifty per bushel. So it's not we're not sitting in a time where we're going to see ten dollars soybeans from their projections.
2: Uh, hopefully, in a few years we can and just. Again, digging ourselves out of that hole mm-hmm. that has been
0: dug already. Absolutely, well that's that's some harder-hitting <laughs> news for today. Hannah, do you have some lighter, upbeat news that we can share with our listeners? You bet, I'm excited for this topic
2: as an alumni of the FFA program. I'm assuming you are, and many mm-hmm. of our listeners. Yeah, was. So on Monday, a lot of people got off of work because of President's Day, but that President's Day also signals that it's National FFA Week, which is a personal favorite I, get, I got to do some fun things at the radio station with this. Um, but some fun facts for you regarding regarding National FFA Week in relation to President's Day. Um, to celebrate some of our commanders and chiefs, George Washington was known as an agriculturalist, but, and he also raised hogs, cattle sheep, chickens, turkeys, and even bees. But more more presidents that were involved in agriculture, Thomas Jefferson and Jimmy Carter were peanut farmers, Teddy Roosevelt and Lyndon B. Johnson were cattle ranchers. Hmm. So th- those are some fun facts for you regarding National FFA week. But another fun fact, this week during National FFA week, there is a Give FFA Day and over $222,000 was raised for the FFA organization which is pretty cool to think about how much money was raised in one day nationwide yes in one day yeah that's it 444
0: donors that's awesome I -hmm. love it yeah I was an FFA member so I always support the FFA industry and I wish I could go back to convention (laughs) and attend at National Convention as like a member Mm -hmm. as opposed to just going now. I think it's a lot more fun when you're a member, but that's awesome that they raised that much money. I've had the same thoughts, um, but a way that I got myself to
2: the National FFA convention was actually as a media intern. Hmm. So for two years, I got to work with Tom Brand from NAFB Mm -hmm. and do radio reporting, and we got to interview so many students, and we got to interview the national officers as soon as their name, which is really fun. I got to do some other interviews. Um, I got to interview Easton Corbin this year, and I've interviewed the CEO of FFA, FFA, so that was a fun way for me to combine my current role as a broadcaster mm-hmm. and go to National FFA convention. Like That's awesome.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of opportunities for young people out there, that is no doubt. Well, in other news, the EPA has agreed to complete by March of 2020, a study into the impact of biofuel usage on vehicle emissions. This is part of a agreement in a lawsuit brought forth by the Sierra Club against the EPA. And so now the agency has opened a 30-day comment period to essentially comment on a consent decree. And following the completion of the study in 2020, the EPA must either file fuel regulations to, quote, implement appropriate measures to mitigate any such adverse impacts or make any determination that regulations are unnecessary. It sounds, and I know the the Sierra Club is a little bit of a, mm, <laughs> for lack of a better term, hippie organization. So I think this study is really to see what kind of impact biofuels industry has on the environment. And I guess make some sort of concession in 2020 if they find that it's, in fact, hurting the environment as much as the Sierra Club says it is. I question that a little bit. Obviously, I'm biased because I
2: support the biofuels, but I think biofuels are more environmentally right. friendly because we're using I mean, corn and soybeans mm-hmm. to, to produce those oils versus... Uh, oil, 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 and petroleum oil and, and fossil fuel stuff. Right,
0: fossil exactly. fuels. That's yeah. the word. There we go. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what they find. You can't please everybody. <laughs> no kidding. That's yeah, no kidding for sure. Hannah, do you have any other news for today? So a fun fact,
2: another fun fact regarding National FFA Week, as a Nebraskan, I have to bring you a Nebraska okay. fact. Fun we'll, fact. We'll let it fly for today. Okay. Well, Governor Ricketts proclaimed a FFA Week in Nebraska, which is always fun when the governor gets involved with the student organizations. So there were students there in attendance, and it just prompted more celebration across the state. So all my fun facts this week are FFA related, but that was that was a big thing. Um, on social media, as I'm sure we all saw. And um, I really
0: enjoyed everyone's throwbacks of when they wore the Mm -hmm. blue jacket. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I miss wearing that blue jacket. Mm -hmm. I sure do. Folks, we're going to be heading to Commodity Classic next week, as well as the Zayner Groups, our sponsors for the commodity markets. Give them a call today if you want to pre-schedule a meeting with them at Commodity Classic. Give them a call at 312-277-0050. Hannah, looking across the screen today at the grains markets, it doesn't look like they really reacted to that $1.2 trillion announcement here just before the close. A little fishy how it was announced uh, right before the commodity markets closed for today. They're holding their breath as well. They're holding their breath as well. Absolutely. In the corn markets today, the March contract finished down just a quarter of a cent at 375 and a quarter, while the May up a quarter to close at 384 and a half. The March soybean contract softened 3 quarters of a cent today to close at 9.10 and a quarter while the May dropped a half a cent as well to close at 9.23 and three quarters. The wheat pits saw just a slight bit of green on the screen with the March contract closing up a quarter of a cent at 4.86 and three quarters while the May up three quarters of a cent as well to close at 4.91 and three quarters. Looking over into the livestock markets, I'm going to go quickly through the Catalan feed report here as I pull it up. We saw on-feed numbers for January 1st, 11.69 million compared to 2018 numbers of 11.489 million. So a slight increase there. USDA's estimated percentage of previous year was up 102%. So right in the uh, average estimate there for trade analysts placed in december we saw 1.767 million versus 1.799 million so just down slightly from 2018 right again between trade estimates well actually a little bit lower than trade estimates from analysts usda estimated 98 percent and then marketed in december we saw 1.741 million in 2019 versus 1.752 million in 2018 so a drop there in marketing's 99% 99 percent estimated by USDA, right on target for what analysts guessed for the week, and it did have a little bit of effect here, especially in the live cattle market, and that's the good news for the feeder cattle market. The February contract up a dollar on the day to close at 128.675, while the April up 27.5 cents to close at 128.875. In the feeder cattle pits, the March contract cut 32.5 cents after that report came out. Or just before that report came out to close at one forty two ninety. The April down twenty-two and a half cents to close at one forty-three thirty. And the lean hog pits, a little bit of a spread going on here between the front months and the deferred months contract. The April contract down fifty cents to close at fifty-five forty-five. May down thirty-two and a half cents to close at sixty-five forty-seven and a half. A little bit of strength out on the horizon for the June contract with twenty-two and a half cents up on the day to close at seventy-five ninety. For today's interview, just a short one here for this Friday episode coming from our field reporter, Bruce Gorder, who caught up with Wayne Fredericks, an Osage, Iowa farming who's been doing conservation on his farm since 1991. Bruce said he's a real pioneer in the field. So we're going to be catching up on some of the ideas that he's doing now and how he got started doing some of those unique practices on the farm.
3: Wayne Fredericks farms near Osage in far north central Iowa, and he's been a pioneer in conservation practices on his farm. I recently sat down with Wayne and asked him about the crops in his part of the country this past summer.
1: Well, Bruce, we were we're down a little bit on uh, corn. Actually, soybeans for us was up. Uh, but for the general area up there, most of the guys were talking down about 20 bushel on corn from last year. Last year was a tremendous year, and, uh, you know, so we... We had a little bit too much water and got in too late. We didn't get an early start planting, so that affected our over, overall yield on corn. So, but still a good crop, but uh, you know, the price of it and the cost, uh, just that 20 bushel short, this is 20 bushel less you got spread cost over. And uh, it's making it a little tougher to find a profit in these crops.
3: Yes, absolutely. Now you've uh, you've been famous up there for being into conservation practices for a lot of years. When did you start doing some conservation practices on your farms?
1: Well, I was one of them accidental conservationists in the winter of uh 1991, we froze up. We didn't get any fall plowing done and we were in a typical fall plow of the corn stalks and and skip row plant beans conventionally and uh, I saw uh, an article in Farm Journal Magazine about a producer that was no-tilling soybeans up in southwest Minnesota with a John Deere 750 drill. Never saw one before, never heard about one before, and uh, I talked to my John Deere dealer, and they happened to be buying one for themselves, and they were going to try a few acres. So I says, well, you want to try some custom, and they says, oh, glad to. So ended up drilling all my beans that spring, and uh, got it worked great, and we never went back. You know, I just turned right over and went to no-tilling soybeans and, and of course then we went about 10 years where we were no to- no-tilling soybeans and uh, we were still field cultivating that ground to go to corn and you start here you know you start going to no-till meetings and things like this and the general conversation is is that you want to achieve the full benefits of no-till as long as you still are practicing some full-width tillage and and so um in 2001 that summer uh My fertilizer dealer, who happened to be a liquid dealer, was looking to extend his business, and uh, we went up and looked at a a strip-till rig in southern Minnesota again. We keep going up cold cold country to see how those boys are doing things. And and, uh, we saw uh, a strip-till operation that looked real good, and he bought a strip-till bar to do custom business with, and he's done mine ever since. So that's kind of how we got into it. It wasn't anything that we were... You know, lightning struck us or anything. It's just, you know, sometimes the point comes along, you you make a decision because of circumstances and, and that you move forward. And gosh, it's worked so well and never looked back. I mean, the, the equipment savings was tremendous, the labor savings was tremendous, the crops still performed excellent, you know, so, uh, um, and then, you know, we started to achieve the conservation benefits. You know, the longer we're in the practice, we start to see the benefits of the soil improvement and soil health, and organic matter changes. And of course, you know, we got into the early, uh, you know, 2011 and 12 when we started to uh, deal with water quality issues, and Iowa adopted nutrient reduction strategy. I was an active participant in the uh, on-farm network for Iowa Soybean Association at that time. So. Uh, of course, I jumped right in doing cover crop research and trials and so forth. And uh, you know, we realized that we're gonna to have to see if we can find a way to address water quality and see if we can figure out which cover crop species works for us and what practices work. And then two years ago, we were 100% now cover crops uh, on our operation, So,
3: What are you using for cover crops now, Wayne?
1: We use cereal rye. That's, that works the best for us, the most efficient and uh, least cost. And uh, till I find something to to add to that mix that I feel beneficial, that right now is working well for us.
3: What about your area where you farm up there in north central Iowa? Are you seeing more and more folks getting into the conservation and maybe some of the younger farmers coming along? Uh, are they doing that or is it uh, coming along slow?
1: Well, we're in that infamous Rock Creek watershed. You've probably heard about that. Was, it was the first watershed that... Uh, Uh, Iowa Soybean Association worked with uh, after the nutrient reduction strategy was adopted by the state of Iowa. And we wrote our watershed plan based upon that Iowa plan. So we established our goals and so forth. And we had about a 10-member farmer advisory committee that was part of that plan adoption. So we had a lot of buy-in to start with. And that was, I think, really beneficial. And we've had good leadership. We've had a watershed coordinator full-time and so we're seeing a lot of no-till strip till a lot of cover crops in our area and uh, it it just keeps growing there keeps to be more demand for it and um, people are seeing it and all of a sudden uh, it's not even I want to try a little let's let's just switch it all next year you know the biggest thing we're running short of is equipment we could use more um, uh, strip-till machines In the area, that seems to be the popular practice. That is uh, working in that part of the country. We're pretty flat. We're pretty cold. We're, we're, you know, kind of heavier, good, wet soils up there. So strip till is a real, real good tool that a a a farmer could adopt and not have to worry about taking any yield hit or anything like that. And all of a sudden, it allows him to work with cover crops. You know, if you're still in full width tillage, cover crops are a little difficult to deal with.
3: I'm going to let you get a plug-in for the Soybean Association. You've kind of already done that. But but if somebody wants some more information, uh, I suppose your website has a place to go.
1: Yes, you can go to I, iasoybeans.com, yeah, and you, you get into that website. and and Or just Google Iowa Soybeans or Google the On-Farm Network. Mm-hmm. Those will all get you into areas where you can get a, a multitude of information regarding conservation efforts, water quality efforts, uh, A lot of our on-farm trial results and so forth. Every year, we are seeing
3: more and more farmers using more conservation practices on their farms for soil health, water quality, and so much more. Our thanks to Wayne Fredericks, and I'm Bruce Gorder on Ag News Daily.
0: All right, again, that was Wayne Fredericks coming from our field reporter, Bruce Gorder. Hannah, I've got to say, if you want to do some field reporting for the Ag News Daily podcast after you wrap up college here, and after you get the... the the birds all settled in we'd love to have you on the podcast i'm thinking you might hear my voice a little bit more which makes me excited all right well that's a good thing then that we've got you introduced <laughs> to the listeners listeners you heard it here hannah may or may not but we're going to hold her to it stay tuned <laughs> well hannah we certainly appreciate having you on the podcast today folks i want to remind you again if you're interested in co-hosting the Ag News daily podcast with me for a Friday episode. Please hit me up on social media. You can find Ag News Daily at Ag News Daily on Twitter and Facebook. Or you can also shoot us an email. Head to globalagnetwork.com and click the Contact Us form. Hannah, with that, should we let the people go? I think we should. It's Friday. Bring on the weekend.